None of the sounds you are about to hear are effects. We edited material for time and quality, but any strange noises or interference were captured with the raw audio. This is probably the darkest part of the house, uh, and will be the darkest part all night, as it's the only place that has no light and no other human activity right now. Everybody else has relegated themselves to the main uh, kitchen slash laundry area. Let's just stand here quiet for a moment and listen to the sounds of what is supposedly one of Charlotte's most haunted areas. good-looking host, Pat. With me, as always, is the ghoulishly charming Leanne. Why, hello. Tonight, we're bringing you a very special episode of Pick Fifth. Lee and I recently visited the Rosedale Plantation, a beautiful historic site located in Charlotte, North Carolina, the Queen City, and it is reportedly haunted. So, Rosedale Plantation is a very interesting place. It was built in 1815. It's also known as Frew's Folly. It's approximately 10 minutes from Uptown Charlotte, which is very strange. When we saw the address on the website and we, we put it into our GPS, we drove past it a couple of times because the, the front gate is set up towards the road and then there's a huge gap and then there's the house, but you're sort of in the metro area. So it's very strange when you pass by, you don't necessarily <laughs> realize you're in the right place. It's very easy to overlook. That's one of those things, too, where even talking with the uh, the members of the, the Charlotte Area Paranormal Society or CAPS that invited us out there, mm-hmm. uh, some of them actually work there. And, and they'll tell you that, that people who live in Charlotte don't even realize it's there. Um, so you go you go to you know uptown Charlotte, which is one of the nicer areas in North Carolina your entire life, and you don't realize that there's this 19th century plantation a five-minute drive away from, from massive skyscrapers and, and, like, the banking mecca of the southeast. Yeah, and they, they'd they said uh, over the course of the evening at one point, didn't they say that the original acreage, I think it was, like, 500 acres or something like that? No, I think it was actually 900 and 900 something, something And it went all the way to... Uh, to basically where the up, uptown place is, which is the most expensive property in the state of North Carolina. Which just blows your mind looking at how developed that area is now. But it's definitely a hidden gem. In fact, that was sort of the terminology used throughout the night to describe it. And it's very unexpected, and it's so beautiful. I can't tell you how beautiful the property was. When we arrived there, it was 
It was uh, just before sunset. We were there uh, for a paranormal grounds investigation, and that was on Father's Day weekend in June. But of course, uh, for anybody who doesn't know what that is, because I had no idea what that is until we went up there to do it. Okay. Uh, basically, to break it down, we were invited by a group of ghost hunters uh, to go out there and use some of their equipment and uh, experience what they consider to be one of the most haunted areas, or I believe they actually said the most haunted area in the state of North Carolina. Yeah, it's uh, uh, the group we went to uh, visit was the Charlotte Area Paranormal Society. You know, their their whole idea is, is that they have a partnership with this historic site. Uh, what they were doing is actually really neat. They're bringing out uh, lay people like us and, and you know people who are curious about uh, trying to investigate uh, paranormal to ghost hunt or, or just you know with a, a, a morbid curiosity like we have mm-hmm. uh, out to a place where they kind of showed their craft off and at the same time they were also raising funds uh, to preserve the historic site so dual purpose uh, obviously you know we're up there because this is the type of stuff that we really dig but there's a much better uh, and, and a really interesting kind of a side to it where, where they're, they're doing what they can to to help preserve, you know, one of the uh, a historic site in North Carolina. Without further ado, though, because I'm sure why everybody here, uh, what we're all looking to get into is what we experienced that night. Uh, you're going to hear a lot of raw footage from the night itself. Uh, we're going to be up here doing what we do, giving our host things and, and throwing some exposition in between. Uh, but we're really looking at giving just a, a kind of a a raw cut and a raw deal and a, a feel for for what it's like to go to a uh, reportedly haunted site and to sit there and, and hopefully you get a, a feel for what the experience was like for us and, and how it was for everybody else i will say before we start uh and we'll tell you what we think at the end uh i'm gonna have lee and i both state kind of how we felt about hauntings and ghosts and all that stuff prior to and then we'll see that after the experience how it changed our mind uh, so you want to tell us about it first, Lee? I'm admittedly a, a skeptic in many regards. I, I don't typically, I'm not a believer in the paranormal. I certainly I'm, I'm love horror. I love horror culture. I love the things that, that interest people. And, and I, I, especially more like esoteric and occult stuff, I'm always interested to find out why people think what they think and feel what they feel and believe what they believe. So it's kind of like our amateur anthropological approach to all the different fun aspects of horror culture. So that's the, that's sort of why I really wanted to go. So Leanne uh, is going to put, position herself as a skeptic, and I will say that I definitely am firmly fall into the skeptic category as well. Uh, I'll let everybody know, though, that kind of in the spirit of, of Art Bell and George Norrie and, and all those other uh, great hosts out there, that you know, what you're going to listen to tonight is no way... Uh, us trying to sit there and debunk anything or, or to sensationalize anything or to try to, to, to convince you one way or the other. Uh, just because we both happen to be skeptics in, in paranormal activity and ghosts, uh, don't think that this is going to be some sort of episode where we're going to sit here and try to criticize, humiliate, or do anything like that to anybody because that's, that's not our flavor. Uh, what we love doing is going out and meeting interesting and great people, uh, which the caps uh society certainly was oh yeah uh, they're really they're really cool and oh, really bring you something that's i think is going to be uh, entertaining for everyone and, and hopefully you know give you guys a, a taste of the adventure that we went on exactly 
With that being said, uh, we were just one or two of, excuse me, uh, many people who came that night with the same curiosity about ghost hunting. And the first thing that we're going to listen to here is actually an interview that we conducted with a man named Corey who had brought his son and wife out uh, to this event. And he was definitely a believer uh, and, and was really out there to try to kind of confirm some of his own feelings and, and suspicions and beliefs that he's had in life. Rather than sit here and try to tell you what we talked about, why don't we listen to him in his very own words? So it was personal experiences that sort of led you into being interested in paranormal investigation? Uh, basically, yes. Uh, mm -hmm. Like I said, uh, when I was a child, I seen things. Mm -hmm. In fact, it's been noted when I was four years old, I seen my dead grandfather. And... Um, well, what it was is that my family was at the hospital and me and my cousin stayed at the house. Mm -hmm. They came home and we started crying and without knowing, we, we wanted to see our papa, you know, and see papa. Then we both stopped, looked over the door, said, yes, papa, yes, papa, we'll be good boys. We love you, da, da, da. One thing they didn't tell us is he just passed away. Uh, I seen that, seen uh, other things, other family members, and, like, a great-grandmother running down a hill at the family house, stuff like that. My wife, she basically had very similar situations happening to her. And so when we met, we were just talking about this stuff, and we came very interested in each other, and especially with our stories. And, well, we ended up having that child, and now he's also very sensitive about things. So that was sort of a, a, a bonding experience for yes. you and your wife. That's, that's amazing. And oh, yeah. And your son's interested in it, too, and has had some similar experiences. Oh, yes. And when we started watching, uh, like, shows on TV about ghost huntings and stuff like that, we've always found that very fascinating, very interesting. And so when I met Ishmael, mm -hmm. and he told me about him, him being part of CAPS, mm -hmm. so I started asking questions, and then I started sharing his personal stories, and, mm -hmm. and that's how we got associated with this, and he asked us to come, come here today. Is this going to be your first experience actually kind of being involved in or, or kind of getting your hands on into a paranormal investigation? An official investigation like this, yes. Okay. I've, I've been into situations that uh, had activities. Mm -hmm. uh, I've helped uh, out a friend of mine with her house who has a lot of negative energies in her house. I've tried to neutralize and everything, and she actually has a haunted painting. Yeah, it's creepy as like four feet tall. <laughs> she keeps it in the basement. Oh my gosh. She knows it's haunted, full of negative, and, uh, and uh, the house itself has developed its own um, personality, its own energy. And I'm trying to clear the house out without pissing it off, basically. Do you have a specific like spiritual tradition you draw from to, to address those issues? Like what's your frame of, of reference for that? Actually, a lot of prayer. A lot of prayer, and the strange thing, I, I do believe that God comes to me and He tells me, do it this way. And I'll do things, and I don't know why I'm doing it, and I do research afterwards, and like, oh, that's why you use salt. That's why you use sulfur. I didn't know this, and but I'm using it. <laughs> so you sort of had the intuition to do it that yes. way and then proved it. Okay, yes. that's, that's very interesting. Do you think that... You know, or, or do you hope to garner anything from from the investigation tonight that you might be able to bring kind of into into those experiences to helping with your friends or other people who are, are experiencing paranormal activity? 
Well, tonight's investigation is more of a, a selfish... Uh, well, I, I've never really had uh, validation of what I see or what I feel. So I'm hoping tonight will bring some sort of validation of what, I, what I'm experiencing. So it's important to you on a personal level? Yes. And it's, you know, it's, it's interesting for us kind of being the, the outsiders of the whole thing here and getting the recording in it to, to get the unique experiences and, and kind of the story behind, you know, not only the, the members of the Paranormal Society here, but also you know, what drives somebody to, to want to participate in an event like this. So we really appreciate you taking a few minutes out to share your story with us. It's no problem. Thank you. So I really enjoyed talking to Corey, and I thought that he really summarized a lot of the viewpoints that we heard that night. Um, a lot of people were there to sort of confirm their own experiences and, and their own views of, of the supernatural, I suppose. And um, he was really open, and I thought it was very cool that he talked to us. Absolutely. Corey was uh, definitely one of those guys that, that didn't mind uh, sharing with us. Uh, neither did some of the other guests there either. Uh, I'll also say, too, that you could definitely tell that within the crowd there were uh, people who were very much like their wives or their husbands or, or, or somebody in the family drug them out to this. And it was, it was kind of a, hey, this is something I want to go do. And because you love me, you're going to come do it with me as well. Uh, so it was interesting in the fact that, that there definitely was a healthy mixture of, of skeptics there, of believers. And I think of people who, like us, were just genuinely curious as to you know, what this event would be like and, and how the night would unfold. Yeah, I think that's a pretty accurate assessment. Um, I will say that I had a really great time, and it was very, very interesting, and I really, really enjoyed talking to all sorts of different people, especially the CAPS team members. So along with Corey and the CAPS members and ourselves, there was probably 40 or 50 other guests there, I, I would say. They said they capped out at 80, I believe, but they had some, some no-shows. Okay, I, I don't so think that many no-shows. So, we call it a, a good eighty people plus the plus the staff there plus ourselves. So, as the night began, uh, it was right around the time that it was getting dark. Tina, the founder and executive director of Caps, gathered up all the guests into an area right outside the administration building and gave a quick laydown of what to expect for the night at hand. So essentially, how it went was um, she divided all of the guests and team members into four groups. And they assigned each group to a part of the property and rotated these throughout the night. So everybody got to experience each different part of the house and the grounds. It was a very uh, smart approach. And for the rest of the episode, basically what you're going to be listening to is us going to each of those different stations and then giving you cuts and, and kind of some of our commentary on, on what we experienced and, and reliving the, uh, the moment and the experience with us. That being said, the very first station that we ended up going to was with Tina herself as she gave a brief rundown of the history of the Rosedale Plantation as well as explained what it is a paranormal investigator does and showed us some of their equipment. Rosedale was built in 1815 by Archibald Frew. It was nicknamed Frew's Folly. We think it was called Frew's Folly because at the time in Charlotte you either had a house that looked like wood or it was painted red because red was the only color that they had invented at the time. As you see, Rosedale's white. 
and Rosedale was white in 1815. The plantation was purchased in 33 by Dr. David Caldwell. Dr. Caldwell happens to be one of the spirits that is in the house. I have seen Dr. Caldwell on two separate occasions. Very tall man. Um, I felt a presence beside me, looked, and there he was. Unfortunately, being a doctor, he went to a neighboring plantation, um, caught something called aircephalus, which is our today's present strep throat. The problem is, back in 1850, I think it was 56, when Dr. Caldwell died, we didn't have antibodies. So not only did he perish, but two of his children did as well. The Caldwell family owned 33 slaves. Uh, we believe that some of these slaves actually are the spirits here. Nat and Agnes. Agnes uh, was a uh, cook and, and laundress, worked in the cellar. Nat was a blacksmith, worked in the smithy. Um, Cherry, special thing about Cherry. Cherry actually was Harriet Caldwell's um, caregiver when she was a small child. Uh, Cherry smoked a pipe. And she would sit up in the little girl's room in the, in the house and smoke the pipe and blow the smoke up the chimney so that she didn't get caught because Dr. Caldwell didn't like her smoking in the home. But um, we believe that Cherry may be one of the spirits here. Um, people report uh, an African-American lady um, seeing glimpses of her, and we think that that may be Cherry. Nancy is also um, a cook that was in the cellar. So when you get to the cellar, you may want to say, you know, Agnes, Cherry, Nancy, are you here? We have been at the home and had, we've actually heard footsteps. You know, you'll be very quiet. You'll be on the bottom floor. You'll hear footsteps on the third floor. You go to the third floor, all of a sudden the footsteps are on the first floor. It's just kind of a little game to play. We um, got in the little girl's room. I was in there and I had asked a question. I was trying to be kind of stern, like a school marm would have been at the time. And I said something to the effect of, uh, I'm an adult, and when children are spoken to, they're supposed to respond. I'd like to know your names. Please tell me now. And I heard giggling. And not only did I hear it, but we had, I had a recorder, my co-team, person had one as well, and we had two cameras, one in her hand and one on a stationary tripod. All four devices picked up that laughter, which is very cool. This is an example of a uh, full spectrum camera. As you notice, uh, it, it's pink. This dot here is something, shouldn't be there. And we actually had a team member walking and I was watching her walk and she'd walk a little bit, turn around and look behind her like she heard something and I snapped pictures. That's what I got in the picture, so small light. This, however, is here. This is a FLIR thermal imaging camera. There is one in the garden, so when you get over there in the garden, um, our folks will show you what it does, explain how, why we use it. This is the back of the house on the second level. If you see this right here, that should not be there. So we thought this was a good moment to interject um, since 
we did actually get to play with the FLIR camera later in the evening. We wanted to explain a little bit more about what it is. And it stands for Forward-Looking Infrared Radiometer. And Pat has actually used a more expensive version of the one we got to play with in real life. Can you tell us a little bit about it? Yeah, so basically... Uh, this is, is distinguishable from night vision as the fact that it, what it detects is heat sensor that's on the infrared spectrum. Uh, for anybody out there who plays video games and stuff like that, you've seen this uh, mimicked either by the, the, the kind of gray pictures where people's bodies and stuff look white if they're hot or black if they're cool, or possibly also with the, the multicolored, you know, kind of on the infrared spectrum, you'll see colors of red when something's cool and all the way up to bright, vibrant, uh, vibrant violets if they're warm. For the, the photos that she's about to go on and explain in here for, for the paranormal activity that they believe they saw, they actually had it on the, on the colorful spectrum. So what you'll see, if you look into the show notes here later, it is a very distinguishable white person-like figure uh, that they were able to capture through the window. Honestly, with your explanation of the FLIR camera, I was just thinking of the movie Predator. If you've ever watched Predator and you've seen uh, what the Predator sees through its space helmet, it kind of reminded me of that. Yeah, it, it, it's Actually, it is exactly like the Predator. Uh, I'm not exactly sure which specific technology they were using in that documentary. <laughs> However, uh, it's, it's the same basic concept. Well, I appreciate that. But uh, anyway, we're going to let you get back to Tina. Um, She's going to be explaining more about the spirits who may inhabit the plantation and also about the other equipment that was used throughout the evening. This is 1 o'clock in the morning. No one is in the home, but it appears someone is looking out that window. What a thermal imaging camera does is it takes a photo and it shows different colors based on temperature. So the fact that this is white, that's the hottest temperature that it can be. Black would be the coldest. We feel that spirits are energy, so therefore an energy signature is going to be hot. And we believe we actually have someone looking out the window at us after one o'clock in the morning. As you see, when we start out, this is just looking at the back of the house. This is your right-hand side. There's, there's nothing in there. We go to the middle, and there appears to be a lady. You can almost see what appears to be hair at the top. So, you know, appears to be there. There again, same middle window. Here, this is the middle window, but she appears to have ducked down. She has moved. If I were to stand up there, I would look, you know, white or red myself because it would pick up my body temperature. We actually think that is Mrs. Hagee Davidson, the same Davidsons that our Davidson College had cousins that ended up at Roseville. She's also the uh, founder of the gardens over here, and she's actually been seen walking in the gardens to the point that people will call the police. The police come, and there's nobody here. We've seen full-body apparitions, unexplained sounds. We've had our instruments go off. Um, We've heard footsteps. We've heard laughter. Um, And out on the grounds, um, we've had reports of seeing a lady over in the garden. 
uh, an event like this, someone was sitting on one of the benches down in the cellar, thought a gentleman sat down beside them, turned to look, and there was no one there. Now, just a really quick um, show of some of the uh, equipment we use. This, if any of you guys are hunters, is a trail camera. It's motion activated, night vision, and you don't have to review 10 hours of it. Motion turned it on, it, it did its recording. That's all you have to look at. This is called a mail meter. Um, it's an EMF meter. You'll be using EMF meters tonight. That stands for e electromagnetic field. It picks up fluctuations in the electromagnetic field. When you get out there with your own electromagnetic field detector, if you have one that's a digital readout, you're looking for your sweet spot to be between two and seven, because below two is naturally man-made, uh, naturally occurring, such as copper deposits or ore deposits. Um, running water underground, you'll pick that up. Um, above seven is your electronics, your man-made things. Between two and seven would be your spirit energy. Cold spots or hot spots? Cold spots, because we think that the spirit will actually try to draw energy, thermal energy, out of the air to help manifest. Um, some of you may have heard of the spirit box. Um, a ghost box primarily is a hyped radio that just you know repeatedly stands a frequency. This is a little bit more advanced. Does the same thing, but the PSB7 can actually scan backwards. This is actually called a REM pod. There's one of these in the cellar. Um, it's, it, you probably can't see it in here, but it has lights on it, three lights. In the dark, you watch the lights. If the lights go out, the more lights that go out, the closer the energy is getting to the antenna. We also have one in the cellar that will scream. So if you hear that, something has walked up on it. All right, we got about one minute and we'll, we'll change. Anything, anybody? Questions, comments? Where, what, I guess in Charlotte, where is the most haunted place here? Is it here? <laughs> okay. It is here. Okay, wow. Right here. <laughs> Equipped with a boatload of knowledge about the haunted inhabitants of the Rosedale Plantation, as well as some rudimentary knowledge of how to use some of their equipment, we've ventured forth to go to our first investigation spot, the blacksmith area. I have to say it's absolutely beautiful out here. Uh, the sun is just going down and the fireflies are out. We're standing underneath a big, beautiful, I believe she said it was a sycamore tree. Uh, absolutely lovely and the gardens are all around us, so... Very excited to see what happens next. What you just heard was Leanne describing the scene at the blacksmith, the first station that we were doing paranormal investigation at. Once we got there, all the guests were given some of the tools while we settled in with Brian, one of the members of CAPS. We're out here speaking with Brian now, who's uh, working the first station, uh, the blacksmith area, and, and kind of general grounds, uh, and also the large, I believe the sycamore tree? Uh, sycamore tree on the outside area. Uh, the guests here tonight have gone out with, with some of the equipment and tools used for ghost hunting or trying to find paranormal activity. What, what drew you first to, to CAP specifically or really to, to kind of what you're doing out here and, and 
the whole the whole paranormal activity investigations. Well, it's it's something I've been interested in since I was a kid, and uh, it's something I've always wanted to do. And uh, one day, my younger sister was on Facebook and saw a posting about a jail in Chester where Caps was holding an event, a meetup group. And I went out there and I started talking to Tina, and I started going to more and more meetup groups, and finally I got to start coming out, helping with all their stuff. Did you ever have any personal experience that, that you feel like drew you to it, or, or was it more of an intellectual curiosity for yourself? It's hard to explain, but it's always felt like something's been with me, different things, different times. Uh, ever since I was a kid, I've seen stuff, heard stuff, felt stuff you know, my whole life. Finally got a chance to start investigating. I love it. Since you've been investigating, do you feel like that's kind of solidified your, your, your beliefs? Or, I mean, how, how, how has it impacted going from, hey, this is a curiosity, something that you feel, to now you're actually on the side of things where you're, you're, you're actively going out there with the equipment, you know, with the groups and, and doing more proactive research or proactive investigations? It's definitely, it's definitely helped. You know, I've always been a believer, but I always wanted to prove it and help other people that didn't believe. I found out when I was... After I got older that my mom saw the same stuff that I saw and heard when I was younger. So, What's your personal experience like? How, how, do, you, how do you feel that, that these groups generally react once they kind of get out here, they, they get a, a feel for, for what it is that y'all do, and then they you know actually enabled to go out there and, and do investigation themselves? What, what's the takeaway for them uh, once they're done with this? Uh, usually after one of these events, at another meetup that we'll have, they'll be there to try to learn more, just, just like I was. I mean, have you ever experienced maybe somebody coming out here that's that's a, a definite skeptic? Essentially, they're doing they're, they're they're trying to watch you guys to disprove it that that actually you know ends up having an experience themselves. Absolutely, uh, there was a man that got he said he got dragged out by his wife, but they were actually over in the garden area apparently because at the end of the night we gather up in a big circle and everybody tells about what they heard or saw or felt or whatever. This guy was I mean he looked like he saw a ghost. I don't know how to, he looked shaken. <laughs> he said he was embarrassed to talk about it, but. Over in the garden area, he came face-to-face with uh, the caller, the lady in white. He said that she was standing right beside a bush just looking right at him. He was definitely a believer after he saw it with his own eyes. I've been a believer for as long as I can remember. And to see somebody else that absolutely did not believe, like, just realize well, this stuff really might be real, it's, it's, it's awesome. Well, that was Pat's interview with Brian from CAPS. And I have to say... My impressions of, of that particular station, it was very creepy, especially given the ambience of the place. The sun was going down, it was dusk, and uh, it just had this flavor of the southern southern gothic about it. Yeah, and for, for me, it was my first chance to really, throughout the night, everybody had been taking their time and getting set up and running around and making everything happen. So it was the first chance I had to sit there and really get to talk to one of the members of CAPS and get their perspective and kind of understand, you know, why it is they do what they do, which I thought was extremely interesting. And, and that whole sort of theme carries out through the rest of the night. I'm with you. I know that's one of the aspects of this show that interests both of us the most is being able to get out there and talk to people as they do what they do and find out what they believe, why they believe it, and sort of relate that back to our own interests in horror culture in general. Uh-huh. Oh, go ahead. <laughs> And of course, we're we're tying all this back to to horror as well, and and it was not to remember that there's how many how many movies and films are based off of paranormal investigation and TV shows. Yep. So, you know, it, it's fun to have that one idea of of you know whether it's paranormal activity or 
oh, good Lord, any of the other movies that have been out there, uh, you have that idea in your head of, of what these people are out there doing, and then to see them actually doing their craft out in the field, it's, it, it's interesting to get a look between the Hollywood and the reality. I agree. And I also, you know, I'm a huge romantic, so I was just uh, very much taken by the atmosphere there. Um, one of the things that you mentioned during the interview is that giant sycamore tree. I just have to give you guys an impression of how big this tree was. This tree was so huge. The branches were so heavy, they had to have industrial wires supporting the branches so they wouldn't collapse. I could also say that from a visual perspective, if if I was going to say, like, where's the haunted thing at the house, I had to point at the tree. You know, short of being able to see, like, baby's faces imprinted in there and like it leaking blood you know bloody tears and things like that like if you were just to look at this thing you'd be like yeah that's probably one of the things that's haunted around here and by the way none of those things happened when we were there just disclaimer there were no no faces and no dripping blood there was no dripping blood yeah so when we got done with brian uh speaking with him it was time to to change from the blacksmith area to our next station which was going to be the cellar which had been the area that several of the members of CAPS, along with Brian, had told us that they had started uh, seen and experienced some uh, paranormal activity at, or, or, or just activity earlier that day. Uh, it was also the, the chance that we were going to have to be inside you know, the actual plantation house itself and a chance to go down and, and kind of experience some of the true darkness. And I think that is a great place to stop today. Um, surprise, two-parter. We have so much great content that we could not stuff it into one episode, nor would we want to because that bad boy would be like two and a half hours long. So we're just going to stop here and stay tuned because part two is going to be coming up. That music means we've reached the end of part one of this two-part episode. As always, You can find our audio content on iTunes, Podcast Addict, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. If you've liked what you've heard here, please subscribe and give us a five-star review. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, at PickFith. That's P-I-C-F-I-T-H. You can also like us on Facebook at the podcast is coming from inside the house. Feel free to message us on social media or email at PickFithShow at PickFith.com. Definitely follow and like us. We've got a lot of cool horror-related stuff coming up, including more road trips, interviews, and special guests. After our hiatus, we have changed to a much more dynamic and flexible format, and both of us are incredibly excited to bring you guys new episodes. We love flexible formats. Oh, yeah. Also, stay tuned after the outro music for a little bonus content. We hope you guys enjoy. False flag! encounter look like for um, you know, for this side or for in general for for you guys what's what 
you know, what would y'all say was like, hey, that's the that's the normal here? Lots of different sounds get heard. Okay. And I've I've been in the house on a lot of occasions and and heard things that didn't make any didn't make any sense. Sure. The sounds they were. Sometimes it's like like children giggling. That that's been heard by quite a few people. Oh, wow. And um, footsteps when nobody's upstairs. The first time I was inside the house and we were in the third floor, we were we were all sitting down on benches and we all heard this noise like a door was opening in the room we were in. And then the woman that was at the end of the bench was touched. Something touched her. Hmm. And um, there was nothing on the other side of her. And one, one night when we were here, there was the group that was in the basement. Um, this man had come with three women friends and he didn't believe in anything paranormal and so he was sitting on the on a bench in the basement and he sat down near the end so he was kind of by himself and he heard somebody sit down next to him and he turned to look and there was nobody there and his friends were sitting across the room and so when they left 